Hello YouTube, uh, welcome to today's episode of Africa Africa where we will be discussing Cameroon. Now the reason why I've chosen this episode is um, as you may be aware following our Pan-African unity space on the Anglophone crisis uh, we are helping a refugee and survivor from the Anglophone crisis um, with uh, resettling and, and trying to rebuild his life so um, I thought it would be a good idea to once again recap a lot of the, the great points and great information about Cameroon and about the Anglophone crisis that we got from that space as well as uh, just doing my own background research and adding uh, a few more um, facts and you know just some things that you should probably know about Cameroon if you're interested. Now we're going to have to travel all the way back to 1868. We're going to cover all of Cameroon's history um, in, in a very brief uh, video so I am going to have to skip on a lot of things but you know just just stay with me. Um, in 1868, uh, th that is, if you go on the Wikipedia page for Cameroon, that's when the history begins. Um, in my opinion, it shouldn't. I think, uh, you know, as we know with all of African history, you know, we had rich, uh, sophisticated, complex uh, histories and, and, and social and political entities in the continent prior to European contact. But, you know, as we sadly know, African history doesn't begin until the Europeans arrive at our shores. It's unfortunate, um, but we'll have to start from there. Prior to 1868, there were indeed various um, entities and, and, and peoples who uh who are fully autonomous and, um, you know, manage their own affairs, manage their own conflicts, etc., etc. Um, in 1868, you have the uh, C. Foreman Hamburg Trading Company, as well as uh, Janssen and Tormelen and um, other German companies who were uh, trading with the, the various entities and peoples in the area that we now know as Cameroon. Now, uh, this is tricky because, um, one, Cameroon is a European idea, right? The people living there wouldn't have understood themselves as one nation called Cameroon. Um, they definitely weren't one united nation, um, as with uh, today's borders. You know, the, those borders did not matter to them. They did not exist to them. Like, like that is a complete European imposition on the peoples of that land. They were different entities, different peoples, different kingdoms, different states, just very diff distinct people, just as Europe was, right? Europe was split between, you know, France, you had uh, Germany, you had Belgium, uh, Britain, Italy, Spain, you know, you had different entities, right? It's, it's the same with um, Cameroon. It was a lot of different peoples, but uh, when the Germans arrived, uh, that's what the area was designated as, Cameroon. Um, the British were effectively, they effectively held informal control of, of the area as they had substantial trading activities in the region as well. On the topic of trading activities, we've got to be careful here because it isn't trading as we understand it. Um, trading in, in the imperial sense was very violent, right? And it was a coercive economic activity that, that saw African exploitation and underdevelopment um, in order to to provide European riches, European fortunes, and European development. So an example I'll give you is uh, King Alfonso of uh, Congo. He refused to trade in slaves. He did not want to trade slaves because he saw how it decimated his country. Um, he saw that his, his workforce was dwindling um, and it was just a destructive force. It was not constructive. It was not good for his economy. It was destructive. So he refused to trade slaves with the Portuguese. What they did was to kidnap his own brother and to drag him in chains across the Atlantic Ocean and, and put him to slavery in Brazil, 
in what is now Brazil. Um, so that's just an example of how trading in the colonial slash imperial sense, it isn't anywhere near what we currently understand to be trading today, right? If we were to trade, let's say, I don't know, Pokemon cards or whatever, right? We both have to agree and, you know, we both walk away from that deal happy, right? Whether one person got a better deal or not is is a different story, right? We both choose to be there and we both walk away happily. Um, that wasn't always the case in, in, in Africa, in, um, in America with the Native Americans, in India, right, with the East India Trading Company. Um, colonial trading is is a very violent affair now the germans uh you know with the companies i mentioned as well as the brits they were uh you know conducting significant trading activities in in the region of cameroon um and they started in 1868 and continued until 1884 um until the uh, infamous uh berlin conference berlin conference yeah the infamous berlin conference uh where the scramble scramble for africa took place right so they carved up the continent drew arbitrary borders um basically mapped it according to their interests so you know if france wanted to be there they'll trade i don't know let's say belgium for a bit of land over there and then britain wanted to be you know up here and etc and so on right um i should probably do a separate video on the scramble for africa but long story short that's where um most most of Africa's present day borders actually originated from. So if you compare a map of um, present day Africa's borders to the 1884 Berlin Conference borders, you'll see striking similarities that show you that um, today's African nations are imperial constructs, right? These are colonial relics. Um, and, the, and, and, and that means that the, uh, the consequences of those borders still persist today. And we will see that with Cameroon. So Germany was the nation that, um, that, that they managed to, to colonize the region called Cameroon. Uh, they called it the Protectorate of Cameroon. And they had not only trading companies, but also plantations, actual literal plantations. Um, these are banana plantations as well as other uh, exploitive agricultural activities. Uh, the Germans developed a reputation for their brutality and their harshness as colonizers overseeing their plantations and, 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 and other affairs. Um, now, I, I don't necessarily agree with this because I think all imperial par parties were uh, brutal and harsh in their colonial affairs, right? Um, they all used exploited labor. They all used violence. They all used coercion. They all did terrible, horrible um, awful things to, to people who are forced to labor um, and, and, and forced to grow things that they did not want to grow. So another example I'll give you is in Senegal, where um, Senegalese farmers were forced to switch from subsisting, which is to to grow enough to, to feed yourself, right? Which makes sense. If you're a farmer, you're going to grow to feed yourself, right? So they had to switch from subsisting to um commercial agriculture right growing for the sake of france and and france's um industrial needs uh so one one example was uh peanuts senegal was forced to to start growing peanuts um oh sorry it might have been groundnuts and not peanuts i need to double check that but they were forced to grow nuts um and today that nuts are um one of senegal's uh biggest the cash crops, if I can call it that, right? It, it, it's still today one of um, one of the the most important things that we grow in, in in the country for for the sake of its economy. So again, this is another example of how um, imperial decisions still impact present day Africa. The economic decisions they made 
are, are still here today. The borders that they arbitrarily drew are still here today. And that was the case in Cameroon too. People were forced to grow things that did not make sense, right? They were forced to to, to perform agriculture to uh, fulfill German needs, German financial or resource needs, um, despite their own people starving, right? Um, now, uh, the governor of Cameroon at the time, Governor Jesko von Puttkammer, um, he expanded this plantation system violently, right? So, you know, invaded lands he needed to invade, captured labor that he needed to to steal and to basically enslave, right? They refused to call it slavery because they had powerful abolitionist lobbies within their own country. So they called it labor. They called it work. They called it um, indentured servitude, whatever you want to call it, right? They called it everything but slavery, but in... Um, in effect, it, in practice, it was slavery. It was slavery without the chains. And um, these practices, like if people today in the West had to work in the same way that Africans under colonization had to work, you would call that modern slavery. It would fit every single requirement for modern slavery, right? So so this was slavery in, in, in Africa, not just in Cameroon, but this was happening all across the continent. Now, uh, these plantations under Governor uh, von Putkama uh, had more fields than they did workers. So there was an acute labor shortage. To address this, Putkama instituted mantives. Now, these mantives are basically quotas. They had to come up with enough, um, in, in enough money or... Uh, like grown resources, so like bananas or whatever, to meet certain quotas, right? And if they didn't, there would be consequences. So uh, the, these mantives uh, saw people forced to do harsh labor in order to survive. Um, there were extremely high rates of death and extreme forms of discipline were practiced, including the cutting off of hands, uh, genitals, uh, the gouging of eyes, decapitations. Um, severed limbs were often collected and shown to local authorities as proof of death for you know places that didn't meet the quotas or perhaps openly rebelled because once again this was slavery the conditions were slavery so people were, were always bound to to resist and rebel and when that did happen it, it was massacre right massacres were were imposed right atrocities took place um, these horrors continued um, all the way through world war one um, when in 1914 uh, the French, Belgian and British colonial troops invaded the German colony and occupied it. Now, when we say occupied it, it's not as if the soldiers were just chilling there, sitting, doing nothing. You know, they, they were continuing the same um, harsh and exploited labour practices that the Germans did at the time. Um, and eventually, when Germany lost World War I, uh, Cameroon, the, the German protectorate of Cameroon, its colony was split between the French and the British. The British were more concerned with other areas of Africa, specifically Nigeria, um, whereas the French, uh, they wanted Cameroon, so they gained a larger portion of, of the territory as it was divided. Now, the British territory composed of, was composed of two parts, right? Northern Cameroons and Southern Cameroons. These are both, again, British colonized and administered territories, whereas separate to those two, you had French Cameroon, which was the larger entity. Now, at the time of independence um, in the 1960s, the uh, northern part of the British territory, so northern Cameroons, that decided to join Nigeria, whereas the southern part of the British uh, territory of Cameroon, so southern Cameroons, that decided to join um join the french 
colonized Cameroons, right? I, I hope that doesn't sound too confusing, but let me just recap that once again. British Cameroon was split into two territories, Northern Cameroons and Southern Cameroons. Northern Cameroons joined Nigeria, Southern Cameroons joined the French Cameroon to form the 1961 Federal Republic of Cameroon. Now, as per the name, this was a federal republic. It was meant to be a federation, just like the United States, right, where you have Sure, one capital in Washington, D.C., but at the end of the day, you have individual states with their own powers, their own rights, their own laws, their own um, military forces, I believe. Like each state has like a, a national guard. Um, each state manages its own affairs in the U.S., right? Each state sets its own taxes, um, elects its own representatives for its own laws, etc., etc. This was meant to also be the system, not the exact same, but but the, the basic system of um, the Federal Republic of Cameroon, right? And and, and through this, uh, the English-speaking part of Cameroon, which were formerly colonised by the British, so Southern Cameroons, that was to have its own rights protected through this federal system. It was able to, you know, have a degree of autonomy and manage its own affairs, similar to how, let's say, I don't know, California can manage um, a large degree of its own affairs, right? So that was meant to be the system. However, um, Cameroon's first president, uh, Amadou Ahidjo, uh, he was a dictator to be, right? So he, he never liked this federal system, Um and now from 1961, he was calling for a one-party state. He wanted to, you know, to do away with this multi-party system and just have one central party manage all of Cameroon's affairs. In 1962, he issued a decree that prevented criticism against his regime. Anyone found guilty of criticizing or performing subversive activity against his rule or government authority or any other laws could be imprisoned. Right. So slowly, slowly by slowly, year by year, he was getting more dictatorial, um, more authoritarian, uh, cracking down on on uh, any opposition or criticism and stripping away rights. Groups of opposition leaders condemned all of these moves, and rightly so, as dictatorial, including uh, André-Marie Bida, uh, Charles Okola, Theodore Martip, um, and you know many others who were all imprisoned on the grounds of subversion against the government. By 1966, Cameroon under Amadou Ahidjo was a one-party state. And the party was the Cameroonian National Union political party, which was, again, firmly under his rule. Now, between 1961, when the Federal Republic of Cameroon was created, and 1966, when the uh, CNU created and under Hedjo created the one-party state, um, th there had been many laws and uh, decrees passed um, that had effectively made Cameroon a dictatorship. So some examples of this include the arbitrary extension of police custody, the banning of all meetings and opposition rallies, uh, censorship for all political publications, as well as um, the restriction of freedom of movement through the establishment of passes and curfews. And finally, limits on trade union activity. Anyone accused of compromising public safety uh, was deprived of a lawyer and could not appeal the judgment. So often uh, opposition figures like the ones I mentioned before, as well as just any state critics, um, were were accused of compromising public safety. Um, they couldn't have a lawyer, they couldn't appeal it, um, and they faced sentences of life imprisonment, uh, hard labour, the death penalty, 
executions were even conducted in public. Now, whilst all of this was happening, there was criticism and opposition all over the country um, in the former English-speaking parts, or sorry, the former British-colonised English-speaking part of Cameroon, so that's southern Cameroons. Um, they also protested the fact that um, Amadou Ohijo, he was from the Francophone part, the French-speaking and French-colonised part of Cameroon, so he was also clamping down on their rights in particular because he wanted them to be fully assimilated into um, one united Cameroon. Again, he hated the federal uh, model and uh, despised the fact that the English-speaking regions had their own rights, they had their own autonomy, um, and he clamped down on this as well as um, uh, general civil and human rights uh, across the country. Um, so in terms of today's conflict and the Anglophone crisis, we've got we to gotta look at this, right? We've got to look at the fact that um, there was a systematic clamping down on, on civil rights, on human rights, political rights, um, not just for the whole country, but especially in the uh, formerly British colonised regions. Um, now, Ahijo uh, blamed Cameroon's poverty and its underdevelopment on this federal structure. Again, he hated it. He really hated it. So he blamed all of Cameroon's issues on the federal structure. Um, interestingly, he didn't blame or you know consider the fact that um, Cameroon had 9,000 French nationals in the country who controlled roughly 55% of the modern sector of the Cameroonian economy. And their control over the banking system was said to be total right he didn't consider that he didn't he didn't give a a rat's ass about it because um ultimately he had the support of france right he led a neo-colonial uh brutal anti-democratic regime um that was greenlit by the french government because he protected french economic interests he protected all of france's um economic assets at the expense of his people and at the expense of their development and when cameroon faced poverty when cameroon faced underdevelopment he blamed it on the federal structure he blamed it on the fact that the english-speaking regions had their own rights he didn't blame the fact that there were french nationals exploiting the country and and, and, and by the way these nationals um also had their their economic rights and 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 their business um, assets and possessions directly because of colonialism, right? It's not like these are people who are entrepreneurs who you know out of their goodwill decided to come to Cameroon and start a business. No, they were they these were colonists, former colonists who had uh, business and economic interests in the country that they maintained um, as a precondition for colonization, um, and 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 once again they maintained it through the neo-colonial regime of President Amadou. Ahijo, who once more was brutal, a dictator, clamped down on human, civil and political rights um, with France's full and total support. Now, uh, by 1972, um, a fe the Federal Republic was completely um, disbanded and Ahijo got what he wanted. Um, he created a unity state called the United Republic of Cameroon in 1972, which was a centralized political system all power was held in the capital. You, you didn't have like states with their own rights and their own autonomy. No, that, that was gone. That was gone. Um, over these years, Cameroon remained politically stable because once more, he, he ruled with an iron grip. Um, again, if you criticised him, you'd end up in prison. If you were subversive against the state, which is very vague, you could be um, executed or face life in, in, in jail. Um, 
Dissent and crackdown just was not possible in, in Cameroon, or if it was, it was dangerous. So uh, if you're in the southern Cameroons and English-speaking regions, you're seeing your rights being taken away. Um, you're seeing uh, you're seeing your laws and your autonomy um, set aside and um, the promises of the Federal Republic completely disbanded. What can you do about it? You can't even complain. You can't even protest. You can't even criticize the government because if you do that, you could end up in prison. You could end up doing hard labor you could end up dead right um so, so this is a very tough uh situation for people in the english speaking parts but also in general right because people in the french colonized and french speaking parts of cameroon also suffered from from this authoritarian um neo-colonial regime uh by the time that we get to uh the 4th of november 1982 right in 1982, Ahidja has ruled for basically, yeah, over 20 years. Um, he resigns, finally, for health reasons, and he nominates Paul Beer as prime minister. Um, and he was said to, to take over in a, a caretaker role, so he would share power with um, the resigned Ahidja. Um, but eventually, Beer and Ahidja, they had... Uh, a major disagreement in 1983, I believe, just a year later. Um, so Ahidja went into exile in France. Now, Paul Beer had been a prominent member of Ahidja's neo-colonial regime. He held key positions in the education ministry as well as other cabinet um, roles. He was even the secretary general of the presidency and eventually became prime minister. So this is a man who is basically on uh, Ahidja's team. He supported all of Ahidja's uh, policies during his day dictatorship showed great loyalty all up until their rift um and, and that was when you know he, he took full uh soul power um now following their disagreement in 1983 there was a power struggle that emerged obviously between ahidja and Bia. um there were several coup attempts uh ahidja was sentenced to death in absentia um Paul Beer held another presidential election in which he won with 99.98%, 99.98% of the vote. Um, he consolidated his power over Cameroon and the CNU, the Cameroonian National Union, which was the one party uh, state that Ahidjo had, had created uh, decades before. Um, so again, let's put ourselves in the shoes of people in southern Cameroons, the former British territories. Um, you've had your rights eroded for the past two decades. Now this new guy's come to power, but it turns out that he was actually um, a big supporter of the old dictator who took away all of your rights. So nothing's changed for them, right? You've got a new leader, but nothing's changed. They're still facing the same um, lack of democracy, the same lack of rights, the same political suppression and, and more, right? Uh, so Paul Beer continues many of the authoritarian tendencies of Ahidja's rule. Um, he later accepts a structural adjustment program from the IMF and the World Bank, which we know is a big no-no. Um, that basically enriches, um, well, I, I think IMF programs need a whole video of their own, but if I'm to be very reductive, um, it privatizes, an IMF structural adjustment program privatizes the the economy, right? So any industries or parts of the economy that is under the control of the government now has to be sold off, right? It has to be sold off and privatized and put into the hands of private uh, corporate interests. Um, this usually, 
well, pretty much all the time, everywhere you ever else you've seen it in Africa, um, this comes at a harsh price for the masses, a harsh price for the people who suffer um, from an economic crisis. You know, starvation, homelessness always skyrocket. Everywhere you've seen, everywhere that you've seen an IMF structural adjustment program, you've seen the same story. Um, so Paul Beer accepts this. Um, as well as, uh, you know, overseeing the consequences of this. So public servant salaries are reduced by 60%. Uh, the country's poorest suffer, notably so in the Anglophone regions, um, whose voices are once again still ignored and marginalised. Um, in 1984, Paul Beer renames Cameroon to the Republic of Cameroon, um, and he renames the CNU, the one-party state, the political party, to uh, the Cameroon People's Democratic Movement. In the 1990s, Paul Beer um, begins taking uh, steps to politically liberalise the country. Just a few steps. It's still basically an authoritarian dictatorship. Um, but, you know, alongside the IMF economic liberalisation programmes, he does take a few political steps to make things a bit better. Um, so the first multi-party elections are held in 1992. Um, however, he wins with 40% of the vote um, to the, the major disagreements of the opposition who claimed that there was uh, widespread voter fraud um, and this is the first of many results to be disputed under Paul Beer's regime. In 1997 he is re-elected once more um, in an election that was boycotted by the opposition due to the fact that crackdowns were still taking place, human rights abuses were occurring here and there, uh, there was no guarantee of any measures taken to um, prevent voter fraud um, and yeah human rights and civil rights abuses were still still happening in, in Cameroon. Um, and basically, that that is the story of every election since. He's consistently won with at least 70% of the vote, um, with consistent claims of voter fraud, etc., etc. Now, during all of this time, um, Southern Cameroons, again, the British uh, colonised and, 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 and English-speaking part of the land, um, has always consistently consistently demanded for the 1961 federal republic of cameroon to be brought back and respected that was the uh that was the the state that they agreed to join they did not agree to join ahijo's dictatorship they did not agree to join paul Bia's dictatorship either right they agreed to join a federal republic where their rights would be respected as a state now these requests uh were consistently denied uh they faced crackdowns violence etc all of this time whilst the rest of Cameroon also faced you know the same civil and political and human rights abuses now in 2016 things really spiraled out of control when uh protests took place in the southern Cameroons uh with people protesting not only against poverty and um uh, you know, poor management of of the economy, but um, you know, protesting particularly against the fact that they were marginalised as a community. These, these English speaking uh, parts of the country, um, they once more demanded a return to the federal. Uh, republic they demanded that their rights be respected and that the government stop imp stops imposing um, its rule and its ways of governance upon these people so a few examples include the fact that um, they outlawed the teaching of english in in schools um, they replaced uh, english speaking judges with french speaking judges as well as changing um, the the legal system so that the uh, the the, the 
French, um, the French legal system applied in the English speaking uh, areas, which I believe had a code of laws descended from the British. Um, I need to look into that more. But basically, they had different legal systems, different languages, different, uh, different schools, you know, different school systems, different everything. Um, but the, the central Francophone Cameroonian government under Paul Bia and under uh, Amadou Hidjo before him, uh, tried to centralize things and impose uh, French as a language and, and the French uh, colonial slash neo-colonial system upon the um, southern Cameroons, the English-speaking uh, part of the nation. Um, and this is what led to protests, right, in, in all over all over Cameroon's history, but um, especially in 2016 and 17, um, those protests in particular were met with excessive violence from the from the government who used tear gas um live bullets um they set fires you know they, they used full-on violence against these protesters who were peaceful in their protests um and and that is the origin of the current uh anglophone crisis the current civil war as it's been called right it is a civil war the cameroonian civil war um now the english-speaking uh part of cameroon is split into you know two let's say factions right there are people who want independence right separatists and the, there are people who uh want to return to that federal 1961 republic where their rights as a specific or distinct state and peoples would be respected. Um, in regards to the separatists, many of them are armed, right? So you do have the Ambazonia Defense Forces and you do have the Southern Cameroons Defense Forces. Um, not everyone in the Southern Cameroons supports uh, the separatists, right? Not everyone supports them, um, but the government doesn't care, right? For the government, everyone there supports them, so that they're very hostile towards the people of the land, and as a result, um, they brutally crack down upon innocent people, women and children included. Um, people have been um, arrested and, you know, uh, detained by the army as well. Um, human rights have been completely suspended, civil rights completely suspended. You know, it, it's not your usual, you get arrested, but, you you know, you get a lawyer and you get a free phone call. No, it's, it's the exact opposite. People have been arrested and murdered, murdered by the police, murdered by um, the Cameroonian government, um, murdered for, for simply the crime of being suspected, suspected to be a member of the separatist groups. Um, and, and, and this is just fueling the conflict, right? This is just making things worse. This is radicalizing people. Imagine you're just existing. You're trying to live your life. You're, you're speaking your language. Let's say, let's say you speak English because of colonization, right? Um, you speak English, but all of a sudden you now have to speak French in school and you now have to follow French laws that you do not understand, right? All of this happens. And so let's say your brother or your sister decides to peacefully protest about it, but then they get killed. They get killed by the government for no good reason. That will radicalize you. That will radicalize you. And that's exactly what's happened um, in, in, in much of, of these parts of Cameroons. And that's why personally, I don't blame the Ambazonia Defense Forces nor the Southern Cameroons Defense Forces. As per their name, they are defense forces, right? They only exist because the government was violent. They only exist because Paul Bia decided to brutally and violently crack down upon these peoples rather than respect and give them the right to self-determination. 
And, and that is what lots of people are calling for today. Just self-determination. Let the people vote. Let the people speak. Let the people be. Let them exist as they want to exist because that is their inalienable, in, inalienable human right. As we see with uh, Scotland, um, as we've seen with, uh, you know, Northern Ireland, Catalonia, um, maybe less so Catalonia because I know the Spanish government is cracking down politically on that. Um, but as, we, as we've seen with uh, part of Europe, people who express a desire for independence, right, or, or to leave a union like with Brexit, people have been largely given that right. It's been respected. They've certainly not been shot at, right? They've not had their homes burnt down. They've not had um, their, their, they've not had their places of employment um, destroyed. They've not had their livelihoods wrecked. Uh, that that's what we're seeing with Cameroon. We're seeing people who want just the right of self-determination not even just that a lot of people just want democratic rights as in the right to vote freely right in an election that isn't marred by voter fraud or the right to criticize the presidency and to criticize Paul Beer etc etc people are just asking for these basic civil and political and, and human rights um, but that isn't being respected and instead we're seeing nothing but violence and, and all sorts of um, all sorts of horrors. Uh, so at the moment, at least 700,000 people have been internally displaced. Thousands have been killed. Entire villages have been burnt down and wiped off the map. Women and children executed in graphic videos, including a credible BBC investigation. Um, according to UNICEF, 1.3 million people are in direct need of humanitarian aid because of this violence and this conflict. That is where we're at right now today. Um, so hopefully in this uh, half an hour video, of you've managed to learn a bit more about um, the origins of Cameroon's uh, Anglophone crisis, its colonial roots, as well as um, the authoritarian tendencies and dictatorship of Amadou Ahidjo and Paul Bia. Um, if you want to help the situation, um, I'd say first off, uh, you know, share this video, um, <laughs> share this video, share other videos like this, um, get involved in our campaign. We've got a campaign called I Am Tita where we are helping um, a refugee from this crisis who is uh, who's trying to escape and, you know, rebuild a, a, a sustainable life in a safe country. Um, his name is Tita Junior Smith. If you go on IamTita.org, so Tita is T-I-T-A, IamTita.org, you will be able to read upon his personal story um, where he gives his uh, his account of what happened to his life, um, as well as uh, a page explaining a, a lot of what I've said in this video about, you know, the crisis, its, its roots, etc. If you can help Tita, if you can afford to, to spare even just a pound, um, that will go far because right now we're trying to um, get Tita a laptop. So if you alternatively, if you have a spare laptop that you can donate, um, we can get that sent to Tita so he can start working. Um, he's working on um, saving enough money to, to buy a visa so he can go to um a safe country um and claim asylum and, and you know rebuild his life start afresh um this is a right that we all deserve um, and if you want to help someone work towards that right um visit our website imt.org donate or you can buy one of uh like the the merchandise that we've created for tita so he he's got a shop where you can buy uh hats um you can buy like a mug you can buy or or a cup for non-british people um you can buy like a 
uh, kitchen magnet, etc. Um, they all have the IMT to uh, hashtag on it, as well as no, I believe it says end the anglophone crisis and. It's got a um, a map of Africa. So it's a really cool design. Um, all of the profits go directly to Tita. He uh, controls his PayPal um, as well as his Cash App and uh, Venmo accounts that we've created for him. Um, and yeah, we're, we're really working hard to to just help his life. I know it's just one person, but um, it, it's still a lot, right? It's still a lot that we can do. If we can do a lot for one person then why not right why shouldn't we try our hardest to help change a person's life and to help them start afresh um so once again if you want to get involved and change a refugee's life go on imtita.org uh, please like and share this video so that we can raise awareness of the wider anglophone crisis right because this is something that is underreported you don't really see it in mainstream media sources um so you know we want this as reported on and as, as spoken about and shared as possible um and yeah that's pretty much it for me today thank you for listening i hope you have a great day